Andrew Womack Ministries presents this message titled, The Heart of Man. We pray that the Word of God will come alive in your heart as you listen. Praise the Lord. Today we're going to deal with the subject about the heart and what the heart is. I believe that this is something that is important because there are many, many scriptures in the Word of God that talk about the heart. If you were to take just a concordance and begin to run down, you'll find out that there are literally hundreds, maybe even thousands of scriptures that deal with the heart of man. There are some very strong statements about the heart. And uh, it tells us, it, and like for instance in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23, the scripture says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now that tells us that we have the responsibility of keeping our heart, and we, get, we have to give diligence to it, because the issues of life proceed out of it. In other words, our life actually comes out of our heart. We've got to protect that heart. There are many scriptures that talk about having a pure heart. There are many scriptures, I mean literally hundreds of scriptures, that talk about serving God with a whole heart. And so before we can fulfill these scriptures, before we can give diligence to keeping our heart, then we have to know what our heart is. And so that's mainly what we'll be dealing with on this tape is to establish what the heart is. Now there are many applications. Once you understand what the heart is, then you can begin to apply this towards every area of your life. This will help you in the area of healing, in the area of prosperity, in the area of witnessing to other people, being able to discern the voice of the Lord, to uh, discern the different parts of the heart, whether it's you speaking or whether it's your spirit man that is uh, discerned something is speaking to you. This has many, many applications. That's not the purpose of this tape, but rather the purpose of this tape is to scripturally establish what the heart is. And then there are uh, many applications after that that we will not be making, and they're made on other tapes. But the reason I believe it's important to establish this about the heart is because it has been generally understood that the heart and the spirit are interchangeable. And because of that, that has led to some problems. I know that I experienced quite a few problems in my own life when I first started studying these things. And one of the things that began to break this down for me was I just saw so many apparently conflicting things in the Bible that I took a concordance and I looked up the word heart, and then over in the back I looked up those words that were used that had been translated uh, heart in the English version, versions, and I looked at all of the different ways that they had been translated. And heart was translated, I'd say, nearly evenly. Uh, probably just a little bit stronger on the side of things that refer to your emotions, to your soulish realm, as it was speaking about your spirit realm. And I began to see that according to something there, there it wasn't consistent with what I thought, because I'd always thought that your spirit and your heart were exactly the same thing. Now, I do want to say this before we get into it, that I am not trying to be contentious on this issue. A person that says that their spirit is their heart, uh, I would agree probably in the majority of cases with what they're trying to say. But technically, that is not exactly what the Scripture teaches. And sooner or later, if we are teaching something wrong from the Scripture, it's going to bog down our thinking process. We aren't going to properly discern something. It's just important to get it exactly, technically right according to the Word of God. So that's what the purpose of this tape is, is to deal with what is our heart, what comprises our heart, and how do you keep it with all diligence? All right, to establish this, first of all, I'd like to say out of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, these scriptures here establish that we have a spirit, a soul, and a body. 
Now, it did not say that we have more than that. Matter of fact, the scripture there says, I pray God that he would sanctify you wholly, spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this holy is not H-O-L-Y, but rather W-H-O-L-L-Y. In other words, completely. He's saying, I pray that God would sanctify your entire person. And then he said, spirit, soul, and body. So that's all that there is, is spirit, soul, and body. That's all that you've got. There isn't a separate part of you that's called heart. Now, it's also important that we understand that when we're talking about the term heart, we're talking about it in the sense that the Bible refers to it as being the center of man, where your life proceeds from. This is not talking about your pump that literally pumps blood through your body. Now, that's called your heart, too, but that is not what we're talking about. We're talking about the seat of your emotions and things like this. That's the heart of man, and that's what we're referring to. And so this said that God would, uh, I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's what man is made out of, is spirit, soul, and body. Now, heart has to fit in there somehow. It has to be one of those things, or it has to be a combination of those things, or something like that. But this is the whole person, is spirit, soul, and body. And so as we look at this, I believe that, first of all, you have to establish that, that we have a spirit, soul, and body. Also, real quickly, I'd just like to say that the spirit that we received at salvation was not a corruptible spirit. Now, the reason I'm bringing this point out is because this will really help as we uh, start right here and get into some scriptures about what the heart is. It will help you to understand that your heart and your spirit are not just interchangeable. You've got to, first of all, understand what is the nature of that spirit that we received at salvation. Once you understand that, it's clear to see that the heart and the spirit cannot just be the same thing because the heart has some things that it is capable of that your spirit is not capable of. First of all, the Bible says out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, and all things are of God. Now, that's talking about the spirit that we receive at salvation. That is not talking about your physical body or your soulish realm. Now, that's evident because when you get born again, your physical body does not automatically change, and old things pass away, and all things become new. Now, a lot of people would like for it to be that way, but that is not the way it is. If you were fat before you got saved, you're still fat after you get saved, unless you go on a diet or unless you do something to affect that. Now, that is not what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is talking about. Also, your soulish realm, which is comprised of your intellect, of your emotions, of what most of us consider our personality, the real part of us. Our personality is located in the soulish realm. That is not automatically changed. Now, it is subject to change. It will be changed, but it is a progressive change that takes place. It is not an automatic change. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that when you get born again, that you become a brand new creation. It didn't say you are becoming. It says you did become, and all things passed away, not are passing away, but they have already passed away, and all things are become new. Not are becoming new, but rather are already new, and all things are of God. Now, that shows something that is already complete. Now, it cannot be our body, it cannot be our soul that we're completely changed at salvation. Instead, it was our spirit. And our spirit was totally changed. All things in that spirit are of God. All, that spirit is a brand new creation. As Jesus said over in John chapter 3, 
when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit, and that which is born of the flesh is flesh. He was explaining to Nicodemus about being born again. And describing this born-again experience, he says, that which is born of the Spirit, capital S, that's talking about God's Spirit, is spirit, small s. That's talking about that you receive a born-again spirit at salvation. That's a further strengthening of the fact that it was your spirit that was changed. Now, that spirit that you received at salvation is incorruptible. It is not capable of sin. Now, there's many, many things, and this could be a very lengthy teaching on that subject about our spirit. But our spirit doesn't sin. For one thing, Hebrews chapter 6 talks about that if we could fall away, then it would be impossible to renew us again under repentance, seeing we crucify to ourselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. Our body and our soulish realm can be defiled by sin. But our spirit is not defiled by sin. If it was, we would have to have that atonement reapplied to it over and over. And Hebrews 6 makes it clear that that will not happen. Our spirit is sanctified. It is sealed. It is set apart. There has been one offering made forever for those sins that you committed. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 14 show that. And that spirit has been perfected forever. It does not have to have the blood reapplied to it after a sin because that spirit is not the part of us that sinned. Now, we do need to go to God and ask forgiveness out in the physical realm because we allow Satan to have dominion in our life when we sin, according to Romans chapter 6, verse 16. So as we confess it and turn from it, repent of the thing and confess it, then we take the life and the ability of God that's already there in our spirit and that remained in our spirit that was not contaminated because of that sin, and we draw that life back out and put our body and our soul back under that protective power. And so it's important to repent of sin, but that is only for a Christian. That's in 1 John chapter 1. Now, in 1 John chapter 3, there's a scripture here that says in verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now, those scriptures, if you just looked at them on the surface, that would make it look like none of us are really born of God because we still are falling short. Now, there are some people that preach that they reach sinless perfection to where they do not sin. And did you know I've heard people claim that, and I've, the people that I've seen claim it had not attained it yet. I mean, it was evident by looking at them. And sometimes they'd get mad at me for countering on them. I mean, they'd just get mad and get into sin and all kinds of things, and right there prove that they had not reached sinless perfection. Matter of fact, right here in 1 John, if you will even look in the same, cha in the same book, you find over in the first chapter of 1 John, it says in verse 8, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, he's not talking to lost people here. This is written to believers. This is written to Christians. You can see that in the second chapter in verse 1. He says, My little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Not the world has an advocate, but we Christians have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he is the propitiation for our sins 
for our sins. See, he's talking about the Christians, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So John here is writing to Christians, and he says in verse 8 of chapter 1, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness, if uh, from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, those scriptures right there, in context, in this exact book of 1 John, show that this is not talking about that a Christian cannot sin. But yet, that looks like what it's saying. Now, I've heard one explanation that people give. They say, well, that means habitually sin. You can't continually practice sin. You may sin every once in a while, but you can't continually sin. Well, now, at first that sounds good, but did you know as I began to put that into practice, I found out that there were things that I continually fell short in. Now, I, uh, some, of, some people may say, well, not me, brother, I've obtained. But did you know people continually overeat, and that's a sin. They are not taking care of the temple of God. They continually fall short, not only by sins of commission, things that they do, but by sins that they don't do. We continually don't seek God the way that we should. We continually don't stay in the Word the way that we should. We, don't, we fall short in our prayer life from what we know that we should do. And there are habitual sins, things that we have just done and done and done over and over and over again. Now, if you're going to take this to mean habitual sin, again, I believe that that would wipe out nearly all of us from being believers, and I know that that's not what it's talking about. The answer to it, the very simple answer, I believe, is again, going back to this fact, that the part of us that is born of God, the only part of us that is born of God, is our spiritual man. That's the part that old things passed away, all things became new, and all things are of God. And that spirit man is incapable of sin. Whosoever is born of God. Now, that's not talking about your whole person, but that's talking about your spirit. Man is born of God. It does not commit sin. And the point that he's making here is that your spirit doesn't sin. Now, a person who is just living in sin in their physical realm all of the time, there has to be one of two things wrong. Either they are totally rebellious towards what they've received, or they either don't have the nature of God. Matter of fact, if you'll back up in the third chapter and begin to see what he's saying right here in the first verse, he says, Behold, look at the manner of love that God hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And then it says, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Now, every person who is truly born of God and has this hope of seeing God, they will seek to purify themselves. Now, they may do a poor, poor job of it because maybe they've never really heard the liberating word of God. Maybe they're still locked under condemnation and all kinds of things. But that desire is there. And then he goes on down and he verifies this by saying, look, your spirit man's born of God. It doesn't commit sin. It can't commit sin. And if that spirit is really within you, then it's going to start leading you out of sin. So a person that's just living in open sin you could be uh, very skeptical about whether they're born again. Again, I don't consider myself to be the judge, but you do have to make a discernment so that you can pray for people, so that you can know what to minister to them. And he's simply saying, look, a person that's born of God seeks to purify himself even as he is pure because the spirit within hates sin. It rebels at sin. It resists it.
Now, the reason I brought all of this up is to say this, that our spirit man is complete in Christ Jesus. It does not sin. It is not capable of sin. Our spirit is not the part of us that doubts, because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that all things are of God. Doubt is not of God. The Bible also says that confusion is not of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, God is not the author of confusion. So confusion is not a product of the Spirit. And you could just take this and look at our spirit being perfect, as it says, 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, as he is, so are we in this present world. Not so are we going to be, but so are we right now. This spirit is right now complete. And you can just begin to look at that, and you'll know that it doesn't have sin in it. It doesn't have worry in it. It doesn't have fear. It doesn't have any of these things. Matter of fact, you can see what it has in it by looking in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. And the scripture there says, the fruit of the Spirit, and that's a capital S. That's talking about the Holy Spirit, but you remember over in John chapter 3, it says, that which is born of the Spirit, capital Spirit, is Spirit, small Spirit, small S on that Spirit. And so anyway, we have the same nature as the Holy Spirit. Our born-again uh, man, our born-again spirit that we receive at salvation has the same life and the nature and the ability of God in it. And so what Galatians 5.22 is saying about the fruit of the Spirit is also true of the fruit of the human spirit. That spirit is producing love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Faith is a product of the Spirit. It, doubt is the opposite. Fear is the opposite of faith. And so the, the Spirit, our born-again Spirit, doesn't operate in fear. As it says in 2 Timothy 1.7, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you can take many, many scriptures, bring them all to bear. Once you see that the Spirit is complete, that the Spirit does not sin, it does not worry, it does not get uptight, it is not anxious, it doesn't operate in fear, it doesn't have doubt, it doesn't have unbelief, it doesn't uh, operate in strife, and it doesn't do all of these things, it doesn't have bad imaginations in it, it always is thinking the things of God, it has perfect wisdom from God in it. Once you understand all of that, then it is very evident that the heart must be more than just the Spirit because there are many scriptures about the heart that don't conform to that. For instance, let's look at just a few of these things. The heart can sin. Now, we've already established that the Spirit doesn't sin. But the heart can sin. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, this is where Jesus was talking about adultery. And he said, He that looks on a woman and lusts after her in his heart has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Now that scripture right there shows that any time a person lusts and then commits adultery, it is in their heart. Now I'm not even talking about the physical act. I'm talking about conceiving it, first of all, in their thought life on the inside. That that is considered committing adultery in your heart. Now we know that a born-again man does not sin with his spirit. That his spirit is not capable of that. His spirit, everything that's in his spirit is of God. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things have become new. And that spirit man within us is not lusting and committing adultery. And yet there are many people that still lust today. I tell you, Satan is coming forth, even in the lives of Christians, especially if you're plugged into the world system, the TV and the newspapers and magazines and things like that. There is so much sexual advertisement and sexual temptations coming at them that there are people who are born again that lust. 
Now, it is not their spirit that is lusting. That is coming out of their heart. That's what the Scripture says. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 34 and 35, I want to turn over there and read this Scripture because this is um, very revealing about our heart. This is where Jesus was speaking to some uh, Pharisees, and he was rebuking them with these things. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 34, he said, O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. Now that's talking about the heart. And it says that you can bring evil things out of your heart. Now we know that a born-again man still has some evil things come out of him, just because you get born again does not mean that you're incapable of committing sin. It does not mean that all of us are perfect. If you ever get mad at somebody, well, that's an evil thing that you brought forth. Where did it come from? The Bible says that it came out of your heart. But that was not God's plan. That is not the way God intends it to be. But the point I'm making is that that did come forth out of your heart. So that, again, shows that the heart and the spirit cannot just be synonymous. In Mark chapter 6 and verse 52... The scripture here is talking about having the disciples had a hard heart. And there are many scriptural references in Mark chapter 8 and on and on it goes. There are many references about having a hard heart. If you will compare that with Hebrews chapter 3, you find in Hebrews chapter 3 that the Lord here in this whole chapter is talking about having a hard heart. He says in verse 7, he says, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Now, again, see, he's talking about the hardened heart. And as you go on down and read it, in verse 12, he makes this statement. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called a day, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now, in reference to the, whole, to the hard heart, he is calling it an evil heart of unbelief. So right there we see that your heart can have an evil heart of unbelief. That is, having your heart hardened. Now we know that the Spirit is not the part of us that operates in unbelief. Now Hebrews chapter 3 is written to Christians. If you'll read it in context, you'll find out that he's talking to spirit-filled, born-again, tongue-talking Christians, and he talks about them having an evil heart of unbelief. Now, our spirit is not evil. It is born of God. It is brand new. And all things that are there are of God. And as we read over there in Galatians, that the fruit of the Spirit is faith. It didn't say unbelief. That's an opposite. So that is not a product of the Spirit, and yet it is a product of the heart. It does come out of the heart. In James chapter 4, verse 8, the Scripture says, Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Now that right there, in the very fact that it says purify your hearts, that shows you that your heart can be impure. Now, the Spirit cannot be impure. It has already been cleansed and perfected forever. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 10 and 14 show that by one offering, He hath perfected us forever. Now, that's not talking about our physical body yet. That part hasn't been redeemed yet. Our, phys our soulish realm has not been redeemed. They've been purchased, but they haven't been cashed in. We don't have our glorified body yet. But our spirit man has been completed. It has been perfected, and it is not impure. It is righteous and holy. Ephesians 4. 24 says, put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. That's talking about your spirit, man, and it is righteous and truly holy. So when it says purify your hearts, that cannot be talking about 
your spirit because your spirit does not need to be purified. The blood of Jesus has already done that. In James chapter 3, verse 14, the scripture says, Glory not if you have uh, bitter envying and strife in your hearts. You can envy in your heart and you can have strife in your heart, which again, strife and envy are sins. And your spirit man is not the part of you that sins. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 18 says that a heart that the... The righteous have a heart that they, or excuse me, it's talking about a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Now again, that's talking about that the heart produces something that is contrary to what God wants. So that shows you that this is not a product of the Spirit. Also, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5, it's talking about casting down of imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of the Lord Jesus. We find that the thought realm can be contaminated, but yet in the spirit realm there is nothing in the spirit that is contaminated because all things that are there are of God. And so that shows that the heart consists of more than just the spirit. Because it can be contaminated. We can have wicked imaginations there. Also, a scripture we already read, James 4, 8, says that we can be double-minded. That shows that that's talking about our mental capacity, which is a product of the soul. All right, another thing, the heart can doubt. In Mark eleven twenty three, it says that if we shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and shall not doubt in our heart. Now, many people say, you know, that you can doubt something in your head just as long as you don't doubt it in your heart. But... Mark 11:23 says, "Don't doubt in your heart." It says, "Doubt not in your heart." Now we've already established some things in James 4:8 about your heart being double-minded. Also, a scripture that will go along with this is James chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, where it says, "If you lack wisdom, ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Now, James right there equates wavering with being double-minded. Now, put that together again with James chapter 4, verse 8. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. It shows that this double-mindedness is a function of the heart. If you are wavering, then you are wavering in your heart. If you are doubting in your head, you are doubting in your heart. So that's phrase about doubt not in your head, but you know, you, you can doubt in your head, but don't doubt in your heart. That's not exactly correct. Because in James, when it's talking about wavering, it's talking about doubting in your head that that's wavering and that that man, a double-minded man, shall not receive anything of the Lord. In Luke chapter 24, verse 25, the scripture there, Jesus, this is after his resurrection, he was talking to some of his disciples and he was walking with them on the road to Emmaus and he told them, he says, Oh, slow of heart to believe. Now right there he showed that the heart was the part that believed, but also the heart, in this instance, was slowing the belief. Now you can compare this with Romans chapter 10, verse 10, where it says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness. Faith, belief, comes out of the heart. But at the same time, doubt comes out of the heart. We've already used that scripture, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12, about having an evil heart of unbelief. Doubt not in your heart, Mark eleven twenty three, And there's many other scriptures that would go along with that. So we see through this that the heart is capable of, of originating faith and also having doubt come out of it. In other words, it is capable of being double-minded, operating in faith in one moment and operating in doubt at the other moment. 
And we've already established that. Again, that does not sound like the spirit. The heart uh, has our reasoning facilities in it, our mental capacities. There's scriptures that show that in, ver in Mark chapter 2, verse 8. Jesus was rebuking some people, and he said, Why reason ye in your hearts? That showed that they were reasoning. That's a function of the mind in their hearts. Proverbs 23, 7 says, As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. That's talking about as you think, what you think upon, what you consider and focus your attention upon, that's the way that you're going to be. And it says that that is in your heart that you're doing that thinking. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 28, the scripture there says that the heart of the righteous studieth to answer. Now that shows that the heart can also be educated, it can be trained, it can be redone, it can be programmed, it can be renewed. Now, the Bible says over in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, see, that is something that is totally consistent with Scripture, is renewing of your mind. But we don't need to renew our spirit. Our spirit has been changed already. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It does not need to be made new. It has already been made new. That is a past tense accomplished fact. But our soulish realm and our physical realm are in the process of being renewed. But you see, this Scripture out of Proverbs 15:28 talks about that your heart studies. In other words, your heart can be educated, your heart can be renewed, it can be transformed, which that's talking about your uh, mental capacities. It says in Hosea chapter 10, verse 2, it's talking about the children of Israel, talking about their heart being divided, which goes along with being double-minded. And that right there, again, is talking about that the heart can be divided. The spirit, man, cannot be divided. The spirit, again, is all of God. Everything that is there is of God, and God is not the author of division, of confusion, and things like that. Your spirit, man, is not divided. So I bring all of that out simply to show that the spirit and the heart are not interchangeable. They are not exactly the same thing. And yet there are scriptures where the spirit where the word heart is definitely referring to the Spirit. So what's the answer? I believe that the answer is that the Spirit is a part of the heart, but it is not the whole thing. And this gives much understanding to the phrases all throughout the Word of God about where it says that you shall serve the Lord your God with your whole heart. Now, our spirit is serving God. It is not the part of us that sins. It's not the part of us that gets depressed. It's not the part of us that wants to go contrary to God. Our spirit, man, is serving God. But we don't experience victory just because we've got a changed spirit. We've got a soulish part that we have to get into agreement with our spirit. And as the soul and the spirit come into agreement, as we renew our minds and our soulish realm begins to function in agreement with our spirit, then that serving God with our whole heart, our physical body, will automatically follow along whatever our inner person does. Now, a scripture to verify this is over in 1 Peter and chapter 3. It's speaking to the women here in verse 3. It says, Whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of plaiting the hair and of wearing of gold and of putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Now, this scripture will further verify the fact that your spirit man is not corruptible. And this is talking about the hidden man of the heart. It is making reference to our spirit, and it is talking about the hidden man of the heart. Now, that shows that the spirit is part of the heart. That's the reason that it is evident, you know, by some scriptures, that when it's talking about heart, it's talking about the spirit. 
Like, for instance, in uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 10, For with the heart man believes unto righteousness. Your heart or your spirit, in that case, it's evident that that's talking about the spirit part of your heart is the author of faith. A further scripture to verify that, again, is Galatians 5, 22 and 23, where it says the fruit of the spirit is, and it lists faith. Faith originates from your spirit, man, and in Romans 10.10, it calls that your heart. The heart, many times you have to look at the context of the word to understand what it's talking about. But as we've already given all of these examples, there are many examples that show that heart refers to more than just the spirit. It can refer to spirit, but it can also refer to our entire inner person, which is the combination of the spirit and the soul. As it says here in 1 Peter chapter 3, it's talking about the hidden man of the heart. Now, if you've got a man hiding in something, like if you had a box, and if a man hid in it, and if you said, the hidden man in that box, well, now that box would not be that man. That man would be in that box. He would be the hidden man of the box. But box and man would not be synonymous in that situation. Do you see that? And so that's the way that it is with our spirit. Our spirit is located in our heart, but our spirit is not our heart. Heart, I believe, and I get a lot of this just simply, I have studied the terminology on soul and spirit. I've taken the word heart and I've seen it applied many, many times towards soulish realm and then I've seen it applied other times towards the spiritual realm. And through that, I have just come to believe that the heart is the combination of the soul and the spirit. When God created mankind, he created him a spirit, soul, and body. But we find over in Genesis chapter 2 that first of all, he created his physical body. And his physical body was just laying there, but there wasn't any life into him, in him until God breathed into him the breath of life and man became a living soul. That's in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. And when God breathed into him, that word there, breathed, is talking about he imparted his spirit into him. Now, the spirit and the soul entered. Now, I'm not uh, exactly sure on all of this. I don't know exactly. Well, I've heard some people say that he breathed the spirit and the soul into him. I don't know, but I do know that when the spirit got there, there was a soul there. Whether I do know this, that the spirit and the soul were meant to function together. And I believe that this terminology that it uses right here in Genesis chapter 2 when it says that man became a living soul. It said he became a living soul. It didn't say he became a spirit. He became a living soul. But we know this according to James chapter 2 verse 26. The scripture says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So the spirit is the part that produces our life. Our life literally comes from the spirit. God is a spirit. And God is the author of all life. He is the life of all men. And so our life comes from our spirit. So when the scripture says that he was a living soul, that means that he was a, a living, refers to the spiritual realm and soul. It shows the combination of soul and spirit. And I believe that that terminology, living soul, it would be interchangeable with heart. Heart refers to the combination of spirit and soul also. Living soul refers to the combination of spirit and soul. So actually, man is a physical body. That's what we live in. And then we have one inner part, which is our heart. And that heart is comprised of two parts. Now, many people try and walk in the spirit. 
as the Scripture is talking about in many places. In, in Galatians chapter 5, it talks about walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And what they do by that, they try and just completely check out of the physical realm. They ignore their mind, their soulish realm. They just try and somehow or another shut it off and begin to let the Spirit totally control. Well, you can't do that. You cannot just stop the soulish realm. The soulish realm is kind of the central control of our entire system. It is not where the life comes from. That comes from the Spirit. But our soulish realm is the seat of our emotions. It's where your uh, feelings are. It's where your emotions are, your mental capabilities, your will. Your conscience is a part of your soulish realm, which you can verify because your conscience can be condemned. It can uh, be defiled. It can have an evil conscience and all of these kind of things, which, again, could not be referring to the spiritual realm. So your soulish realm is really kind of like the master control of our system. Now, it was intended that the spirit man give the soulish realm the the commands, but then the soulish realm was the part that would dominate our physical body, and it's the part that would control all the other things. Now, the orders were coming from the spirit, but yet the soul had the capability, because it has the will there, to decide what to do with it, whether to submit to it or to rebel. And you cannot just ignore that soulish realm and try and let the spirit dominate. No, we are not literally, you can't just take our spirit and separate it and put it off somewhere by itself. It's not that way. Even when a person dies, their spirit does not separate from their soul. Now, that can be verified in many things. Again, I go back to James chapter 2, verse 26. It says, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. So that shows that at death, the spirit leaves the body. But we also know from Revelation chapter 6, where John on the Isle of Patmos saw them opening up the seals... And it says in verse 9, When he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. Now this is just one instance. You can find others. But he saw the souls of people. Now he did not see their spirits. He saw their souls. The soul and the spirit stay together. When the spirit leaves the body, the soul does too, because these people who had had their spirit left their bo leave their body, when they were seen in heaven, they had their soul there too. He saw their soul. And of course, now I'm not teaching on the subject of spirit, soul, and body. I'm sure talking about it a lot. But you could verify a lot of things. Their soul was recognizable. He saw people. And anyway, it'd take a while to explain this, but I honestly believe that our soul looks just like our physical body. It has arms and legs, all of these kind of things, and it even resembles us to such a degree that people can recognize our soul. Our soul is our personality part. There will be personalities in heaven. Of course, there will be glorified personalities that no longer have the hang-ups that we do here, but yet there still will be personalities. The spirit and the soul were meant to function together. I believe that they were imparted into man at the same time, and they were meant to function together. And... One of the things that made the sin in the garden so bad was that the fact that the soul and the spirit ceased to function together. The soulish realm began to listen to the input from the physical body. The Bible says that when they saw the tree that it was good for food and a, a tree to, uh, to be desired to make one wise. In other words, for the first time, their sense knowledge began to take over. The lust of their flesh began to dominate them instead of the soul taking its orders from the spirit. There was a break. There was a breach there. And when that happened, that was sin. That was transgression. 
and the spirit within man died. When we get born again, we get a new spirit, but now we've got that old soul that's left behind who is not renewed. And the whole key in the Christian life is that in our spirit we've already got the life of God imparted to us again. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things are of God. And the rest of the key in the Christian life is taking that life and the knowledge and the ability that we gained in our spirit through the new birth and transferring that to the soulish realm and renewing our mind. As it says in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, to present our body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. You see, the spirit man, it didn't say be transformed by, you know, getting your spirit to grow and to do this and that. Our spirit man is already complete. I believe it is completely grown. It is completely mature. We are not trying to get the word into our spirit. Our spirit already knows all things. First John chapter 2, verse 20 says, You have an unction from the Holy One, and you know all things. That's definitely not talking about your soulish man. That's talking about your spiritual man. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 10, it says that you are renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created you. First uh, Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 says, We have the mind of Christ. And there's other scriptures to go along with that. That's a product, that's a reality in your spirit. Your spirit is already complete. Your spirit is not the part of you that's growing. Now, I know that that goes contrary to a lot of teaching. A lot of people think that we are growing, that we're our spirit's complete, but it's like a baby. It's got to be grown and matured and exercised. No, our spirit is complete like a grown man. It is as Christ is, and Christ is not a baby that's growing. He is already complete. Our spirit already has the, not, the mind of Christ in it. It knows all things. All of the wisdom, all of the treasures of God are in Christ Jesus. And Christ Jesus is in me, and I'm in Him, and in my spirit, man, I've got all of that. My spirit's complete, but, as it says in Romans 12, 2, I am in the process of renewing my mind. And that renewing of my mind will change me from being like the world to being like God. You see, my heart now has part of it, the spirit part, has the life of God. But the other part is still corrupted with the thoughts and the ways that I was taught before I got born again. And so my Christian life is learning to renew my mind. I am trying to get the Word into my mind. Now, there is a truth. We talk a lot of times about getting the Word in your head and not getting it in your heart. Now, technically, you understand. If you've understood what we've said, that is not technically correct. But there's a truth there, and that is what they're talking about is you don't need just knowledge, but you need revelation knowledge, something that is a reality to you, not just an ability to quote facts, but you need to get the life that's in those facts, the life of God out of that Word and flowing in you. But in truth, we really are trying to get the Word into our heads into our minds, into our soulish man. We are trying to renew our soulish man to the truth of God's Word. And so we really are trying to get the words into our heart. But it's into our heads that is the part of our heart that needs the Word of God. And when it talks about serving the Lord with your whole heart, that means that we can get established to the point that not only do we want in our hearts, in our spirit man, to serve God, but with our mind, with our emotions, we can even get those under control so that with our whole heart we are serving God. Hebrews chapter 5 talks about that strong meat belongs to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You can even get your emotions, your personality, your feeling part of you renewed 
glued to the Word of God so that your whole heart will be serving God. Even with your emotions, you desire the things of God more than you desire the things of the world. Now, a lot of people haven't believed that was possible, but 2 Corinthians chapter 10 Verses 4 and 5 says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down of imaginations, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing into captivity every thought under the obedience of the Lord Jesus. That's talking about in the soulish realm. We can bring every thought, every feeling, every imagination under the control and into the obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be done. That's serving God with our whole heart. Praise the Lord. Another scripture on this is out of Romans chapter 2. Now, I'm just taking a few scriptures here that will relate to this. This may answer some questions uh, for somebody. But in Romans chapter 2, in verse... 28, it says, He is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew, which is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit and not in the letter, whose praise is not of man, but of God. Now that verse ought to make much more sense. See, it looked, uh, to me, it looked very uh, redundant, like he was repeating himself here. If you use heart and spirit interchangeably in that verse, you would read it this way, and circumcision is that of the spirit in the spirit and not in the letter. Now that doesn't make sense, but when you read it, that circumcision is that of the heart, and then he gets just a little bit more specific. What part of the heart? In the spirit and not in the letter. Then that fits perfectly. And this begins to open up just so much understanding from the Word of God. Now, one more scripture I'd like to share is out of Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. It says, The Word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Now, the terminology here, it's talking about how sharp the Word of God is. And it gives an example of how sharp it is. It, it'll pierce even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. In other words, it's using the soul and spirit being able to be separated as the supreme example of how sharp the Word of God is. So through that, we can see that the division between soul and spirit must be now on to being impossible. The only thing that can divide asunder between them is the Word of God. That shows how closely the soul and the spirit are linked together. Again, I do not believe you can just take and operate and cut the spirit out and separate it from the soul. That's not what he's talking about. They were imparted unto us, and they were meant to function as one unit. And see, that's when you really begin to gain victory in the Christian life, is when you can believe God with your whole heart, spirit and soul combined as one unit. That's the way it was intended to be. That They together make our heart, and we're supposed to serve God with our heart. With our heart, man believes, if we will say unto this mountain, and doubt not in our heart, in our soulless realm, if it'll be in agreement with our spirit, then we'll see what we say come to pass. So, this scripture right here is talking about the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. The only thing that can do it is the Word of God. God's Word is how you discern whether the thoughts that are coming to you are coming out of your spirit man or if they're coming out of your soulish man. Because your spirit man will never produce anything contrary to God's Word. Your soulish man will. If you have a thought that is contrary to God's Word, it came out of the soulish realm and it needs to be cast down and brought into subjection according to that scripture. 
in 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5. But if it's in line with God's Word, then it came out of your spirit, man. That's the voice of your spirit or the voice of the Holy Spirit through your spirit. You need to learn to respond to it and obey it. The Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, he started off talking about the word dividing between soul and spirit, and then sometimes we just think he unplugged there and started on a totally different subject and talks about the joints and the marl. Those are two parts of your body. But I believe that he's, he's keeping the comparison consistent. He's continuing on. He's still talking about the spirit and the soul. And he's likening them unto the joints and the marrow of the bone. Now, the marrow of the bone is kind of a hollow place in the center of your bones, and that's where your body produces the blood. The life is in the blood, is what the Scripture says. The life of the physical body is in your blood. So, you could say that the marrow represents the part that is the life-giving part of your body. Well, that's what the spirit is. And the joint would represent the soul. The joint joins different parts of the body together. In other words, it would connect one bone to another bone. That's the joint that goes between them. Well, see, that's what the soul does. The soul takes spiritual directives and transfers them into physical realities. The physical body responds directly to the soul. So the soul is the joint between the spirit and the physical realm. And so that's what he's talking about, again, is the spirit and the soul, the unity, the function between the two, and it says, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Again, I believe he's consistent with his example, and when he says thoughts, that refers to the soulish realm. When he says intents of the heart, that refers to the spiritual realm. The spirit's where your intents, your desires arise from, your thoughts come out of your mental capabilities, and there is victory when you get your thoughts in line with your intents. And praise God, as you begin to understand this, it will really further you and help you in that pursuit. Praise God. This has been just real simple. And yet, as I said, this has many applications. I encourage you to study this out and begin to profit from it. All we've really done is just try and establish the fact that the Spirit is not the heart. The heart is the combination of spirit and soul. That's all we've tried to establish, and the application of this is what will really set you free. You can apply this to nearly every area of the Christian life. It'll give you much more understanding. Now, as you go back and you see scriptures about keep your heart with all diligence, it'll make much more sense to you. You'll know how to do it. You'll understand this. You'll be able to start serving God with your whole heart, and on and on the scriptures go. So praise God, I believe that this has been beneficial, and it's helped shed some light on what is the heart of man. We hope that your heart has been quickened by hearing the Word of God through this message. Remember, Andrew Womack Ministries operates a helpline that you can call for prayer and information at 719-635-1111. We have a ministry website at www.awmi.net and you can write the ministry at P.O. Box 3333, Colorado Springs, 80934. Until next time, we pray that you will reach out by faith and receive everything that is yours through God's grace. <laughs>